Self-Discovery Radio, the discovery of self is but a show away. With over 1,800 shows and growing, we bring you those liberating stories that help you on your own life's journey from every single topic you can think of. The only common denominator is authenticity and being in your meaningful purpose. Come and read our new e-book, plus see our discovery store and what wonderful tools we have for you. Do enjoy our shows and don't forget to share. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, everybody. Welcome back to another edition of Choose Positive Living. I'm your host, Sarah Troy, and my guest today is Douglas Knoll. Are you de-escalating your life, or is it catching you? He's written this great book, De-Escalate, and how to actually calm an angry person in 90 seconds or less. Angry people. Do we have any of those out there right now? Mm, I think we have quite a considerable amount. And the problem is, is that we get angry at angry people. So that angry cycle just keeps perpetuating and raising up that negative energy, which we need to turn down and try and understand where the anger is coming from and how to approach it from a different uh, a different perspective. So uh, Douglas has this wonderful new book that has come out. It's all about releasing that high tension and uh, avoiding confrontations and um, deducing precisely how to bring that conversation back into a respectful line and productive uh, in two minutes, just two minutes, folks. Uh, he works with people, with prison inmates, and he imagines how it might work there with spouses, unresponsive teenagers, unhappy clients, and even road rage drivers. I think you can put that onto social media at the present moment of how to de-escalate that anger as well. We need this, uh, this tool at the present moment because the world is very angry. We are inviting people into peace and to be rise up and to be a part of the solution. And being part of the solution is not rising up with pitchforks, but riding up with love and kindness towards one another. So let's find out how we can de-escalate our lives and calm ourselves down, get rid of that anger, or at least put it into perspective and uh, see what else that he's doing. So welcome to the show, Douglas. Thanks, Sarah. Great to be here. So a great title, de-escalate. Um, it's uh, because escalation of an emotion is something that can get completely blown out of proportion, can't it? Almost always. Uh-huh. <laughs> Almost <laughs> always. I mean, one person gets mad, a person gets mad at you, and you are going to have an emotional reaction to that anger. You can't help yourself. That's how we're hardwired. Mm-hmm. But How do we change that anger and take that deep breath? So let me give let me give you a little science and the listeners a little science that explains why the, the technique works, and then I'll talk about the technique. So emotions arise. Emotions are very complex. They they evolved in our in our in us humans <clears throat> because we needed a system for paying attention to environmental changes around us, and so we just evolved this this array of of reactions that occur in the brain, biophysical actions that occur in the brain that make us pay attention to what's going on around us. And that's the whole purpose of emotion. You could call emotion energy in motion. And the idea is that when there is something that happens in our environment uh, that requires us to pay attention, we have an emotional response to it. And basically, we have three broad categories of emotions. We have positive emotions, we have neutral emotions, and negative emotions. Interestingly, in humans, there are far more negative emotions than there are positive emotions because uh, we are toothless, fangless animals. <laughs> and, and so, you know, if we cuddled up to the saber-toothed tiger 150,000 years ago, you know, we got wiped out of the gene pool. <laughs> yeah. So, so we are the inheritors of a lot of paranoid negative emotions. Um, so what happens in the brain when we become emotional is depends on the the intensity of the situation. But generally, the more intense the emotion, the more we are reacting to to our environment and uh, basically moving into pre-programmed responses, so that we don't have to think about what to do. We run, we fight, we flee, we freeze. Uh, if it's positive, we approach. Uh, and the the side effect of that is that again, given the intensity of the emotion, that what we call the rational part of our brain in the prefrontal cortex shuts down. So it's very difficult for us to be emotional and rational at the same time, 
almost impossible. Now, it turns out that we are 98% emotional and 2% rational. And this is completely flips what most people believe. They think, well, what really makes humans different from the great apes, for example, your dog, is that we can solve problems through rationality. And that is true. We can do that. But our, our rationality is extremely limited. In fact, scientists call it bounded rationality because we can only be rational under certain limited circumstances. And the rest of the time, our decisions are all emotional. So what brain scanning has showed us is that when people get highly emotional and their prefrontal cortex shuts down, they are now no, no longer able to process their emotions in any kind of easy way. So all they do is get more escalated. They get more excited. They get more crazy. And what the brain scanning study show us, shows us is if we are able to label those emotions for the person who's upset, the, the emotional centers of the brain immediately quiet down. And the prefrontal cortex comes back online, and the whole thing takes about 30 to 90 seconds. So this is very counterintuitive to what, how we think uh, emotions should be modulated or changed. A lot of people say, <clears throat> you know, we'll hear stuff like, well, calm down, or hey, it's not that big a deal. These kind of phrases that we use that diminish the emotional experience, and all they do is really anger people more. I call that emotional invalidation. Mm -hmm. So that's the science behind this, and, and I stumbled on this technique by accident. And I'm a professional mediator, and I was mediating a, a couple who had a were formerly married and were fighting over an eighteen thousand dollar problem in Santa Barbara, California, um, about fifteen years ago. And fifty thousand dollars in attorney's fees on an eighteen thousand dollar <laughs> dispute. I know it's classic, right? Yes. <laughs> so they they couldn't sit in each other's presence for more than thirty seconds without yelling obscenities at each other. And I was at my wit's end. I mean, what am I going to do with these people? I can't get them to even listen to each other. And the idea came to me out of the blue, emotions. So I had the wife, we'll call her Susan. I said, Susan, I just want you to listen to John's feelings and tell, tell us what you think he's feeling. And she struggled with that for a few minutes, but eventually she got it. And John would start telling his story. And rather than screaming at him what a jerk he was, she would start saying, you're angry. You're frustrated. You feel like you've been betrayed. You feel like, you know, whatever it, whatever it was. And then, and that calmed him down. And then all of a sudden, I had John labeling Susan's emotions. And after 15 minutes of doing this, John put his hands in his face and sort of bent over and started sobbing. And after he regained his composure, he looked up and said, that's the first time you've listened to me in 15 years. Mm. And that was the end of the fight. They settled five minutes later. Right, right. And I walked out saying, what the heck just happened? And, <laughs> How know, do I, I duplicate stunned. it? <laughs> I was stunned. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> That's when, you know, it was three or four years later that I came across the Lieberman study, Matthew Lieberman at UCLA, that it was the brain scanning study that explained exactly what happened because he studied this phenomenon. And he looked at actual brains and fMRI machines and saw what was going on. I said, I get it. So that's when I started thinking about, okay, so how I'm a mediator, I'm a peacemaker, how do I refine these skills so that I can use them consistently in my own practice and then teach other people to do this. So I started doing that and I did some workshops and was teaching other people how to do it. And then the prison project came along in 2009 and my colleague Laurel Coffer and I um, started teaching murders how to be peacemakers. And we started with our first 15 women in 2010. Today we're in, in nine California prisons and we have a colleague who's, who's got the program going in three soon to be nine prisons in Greece. Um, and what we did is we knew going into these – we'd never been in prisons before either one of us, even though we're both lawyers. We knew going in that we had to teach de-escalation techniques that worked the first time every time without failure because we were going to be asking inmates to, to intervene in potentially violent situations. And if they couldn't get de-escalation to occur right away, their lives were at stake. I mean, prisons are very dangerous places. Yeah. Yeah. So – we worked on these techniques and started teaching them, and to our incredible amazement, they worked. And our inmate peacemakers stopped gang rights, they stopped homicides, they stopped rapes, they stopped, I mean, you name it, they've stopped it. Wow. And they've been able to de-escalate some of the meanest, toughest um, human beings you can possibly imagine in prison. And so that really proved that this stuff really works. Well, inmates came up to me over and over again while we were training them and saying, if I had learned these skills 20 years ago, I wouldn't be in prison right exactly. now. Exactly. And finally, my dim 50-watt light bulb brain went on and said, <laughs> I need to write a book about this. Yes. <laughs> and so that led to the book. 
Right. That's how it all started, and that's what I'm teaching. So the book, the book that you uh, mentioned, "Deescalate: How to Calm an Angry Person in 90 Seconds or Less," is really a, a how-to guide, how to master the three simple steps that it takes to calm any angry person, whether it's a two-year-old child having a temper tantrum or a 90-year-old who's just really mad at being old, it do, and everything in between. How do you, what are the three, what are the three simple steps and then how do you apply those steps in a whole bunch of different situations? Mm. So, so let me go through the three steps really quickly and then, and then we can, we can go from there. So the th- take notes everybody and there's a quiz at the end. So I'm a law <laughs> professor, so I have to say that. Um, all right. Three steps. Number one, this, this is, each of these steps is very counterintuitive to what you might think would work, but it's amazing. Step number one, ignore the words. For the next 90 seconds that you're confronting an angry, upset, crazed person, their words have no meaning. Completely ignore them. Don't even listen to them. Because if you do listen to them, you're going to get triggered, and then you're going to get angry, and now you're going to get sucked into the conflict vortex. So you must learn how to ignore the words. And you only have to do it for 90 seconds, so it's no big deal. Anybody can do that. Step number two. Guess... At the emotional experience you think the speaker is having in the moment. Just guess. And what the beauty of this is, it doesn't matter whether you're right or wrong. As long as you're reasonably close, and it's pretty, I mean, reasonably close, I mean, when somebody's really angry, there's a range of anger. You can be enraged, you can be angry, you can be frustrated, you can be annoyed, uh, you know, you can be irritated. I mean, there's a whole range of words. Whoops, sorry, lost you there. Are you still there? Sorry, folks, we had a little drop there for a moment. Would you please continue, Lev? Yeah, absolutely. So, so we're going to guess at the emotions because uh, we, we are, if we all naturally have the ability to read other people's emotions, I call it reading the emotional data field. We all have this ability. We just don't pay any attention to it. So now I want people to start paying attention to this innate ability you have, and you don't have to think about it. It just happens automatically, pre-consciously. You know what another person is feeling. Allow that information to come into your consciousness, and that takes us to the third step. And this is the counterintuitive part. You're going to label that emotion or, or a group of emotions with a very simple you statement. You are angry. You are frustrated. You are sad. Whatever it may be, you're simply going to give the emotion, label the emotion back in the simplest you statement you can. What you're not going to do is use an I statement. You're not going to say something like, gee, what I think you're feeling is anger. That doesn't work. The thing you're not going to do is ask a question. Are you angry? Because both of those stop the speaker's brain from processing the emotions that need to be processed in that, mo- in that moment. And this is what brain science shows us. So, you're in a situation, and say you've got a four-year-old who's really upset about something. Maybe crying. Skin to knee or something. Oh, you're really, you're really, you hurt right now. You're in a lot of pain. You're a little bit afraid. You're, you are, you're feeling sad, and you're a little angry and embarrassed, and you don't feel like anybody's supporting you right now. You're done. The, kid, the little child will look up and say, yeah. Nod his head or her head. You'll see a sigh, a dropping of the shoulders, and a nodding of it, and some kind of verbal response. You're done. Mm-hmm. It, ta- it's, it takes exactly as long as I just did it there. That's how long it takes. I mean, almost. I mean, it's fast because what we're doing is loaning our prefrontal cortex to the speaker to allow the speaker to process his or her emotions, and that's the secret. I have used this technique in thousands of mediations. I've taught it to thousands of people, and it has never once failed. It works every single time when you when you do the technique right. Now the, the problem is, of course, that people people look at this and they say, "Well, aren't I being impertinent or rude or patronizing to tell somebody else how they feel? Don't they know how they feel? What am I doing telling them how they feel?" Mm-hmm. The fact of the matter is, they don't know how they feel, and by telling them how they feel, by stating it back to them without judgment. You are helping them process that emotion, and they will never feel as deeply listened to as they do in that moment. It's validation, isn't it? It's absolutely validation. Mm -hmm. It's absolutely emotional validation at the deepest level. And people will be surprised and astounded at how grateful 
the speaker is that you took the time, the 90 seconds, to just listen to their emotions and reflect those emotions back. It's something we're hardwired for, and yet our, our culture, our Western culture, puts such a premium on words and meaning that we've lost the ability to listen to each other's emotions. Right. And that's what this is all really about. Well, we get so caught up in that first one, the words that are coming out. That's right. You know, and the, and the thing is, when somebody's angry and frustrated, they're just going to open up the vocabulary door and they don't care <laughs> what's coming out, right? And that's right. I will say, you know, be emotionally tuned in, but don't be emotional. And well, the beauty, of, the beauty of this skill is that if you ignore the words, people can insult you very deeply. Yes. And, and attempt to disrespect you in a very deep way, and it doesn't bother you at all. Right, right, right. And, and that's what's really powerful. You know, that is that is you uh, recognizing at the present moment that, you know, like tensions are high. Somebody's obviously feeling hurt. For them to come out with a splur of words, they, you know, they are in a, a reactionary moment. And, right. uh, you know, we have to kind of let them have those words out there. And as you say, kind of guess that emotion. Where is it coming from? What is this kind of pain? And then, you know, say to them, you know, you are really in pain right now or you're really in anger right now. All of a sudden, you've not only validated their emotion, but you've shown this great big four-letter word that you care. And I think most of the time, human beings feel that they're not cared for, that nobody cares how they feel. You've nailed it, Sarah. On the head, that's exactly right. And and not and people are so grateful. I call it listening into existence. We're going to listen mm-hmm. to another person, and for the first time, that person feels like there is some incredible. Are you there? Yes. Okay. okay. Uh, some incredible experiences happen that they've been listened to and validated, as you said, for the first time in their lives. It's yes. really powerful. And there's a really cool thing that happens to listeners, too. Not only are you serving somebody else in a very deep, profound, empathic way, but this is a spiritual experience mm-hmm. in, in a really interesting way because what happens is when you are totally focused on listening to the of an upset person, you're, you become egoless. You become transcendent and you experience this oneness with the universe and the oneness with the other person. Even if that person is just insulting the heck out of you, <laughs> yeah. you all of a sudden the boundaries drop, all the boundaries drop, and you feel one with them and everything else around you for about 15 seconds. And it is this exquisite, transcendental, spiritual moment that you have as a listener. I, I stumbled on this. Again, this is just something I stumbled on. And being a person that has a, a spiritual life, all of a sudden I started processing what was going on with me. And I said, oh, my goodness, this is like I'm in deep meditation right now. And yet I'm, perfect. I'm a, I'm not in deep meditation. I'm functioning out here as a peacemaker right now, calming somebody down, and I'm having this spiritual experience. How cool is that? Well, that's that's the whole point, though. And a lot of people are separating the spiritual experience, you know, like going to church only on Sunday. Right. You know, when you're having a spiritual experience, it is a spiritual existence, and it that's exists right. in every part of your life. And when that's you bring right. that into every of your life, you have those, you know, that that insight, that um, that attunement to what is going on. But also a huge big thing you have is empathy, which is something that's really gone by the wayside in many ways. That, that's right. So there are just there are just you get that you get double benefits as a listener and you're giving a huge gift to your speaker mm-hmm. when you do this process. Now that I have to get, there's some warnings here that I have to I I'm, I have to be careful about. So what I I teach this in my graduate courses. I teach graduate courses at Pepperdine School of Law in Malibu. And invariably, I have young women in my class who are graduate students, and I tell them, be very careful about when you use this skill. And so I send them out to, to practice homework, and they come back to the next class, and I always ask stories. And, and invariably, some of, one of my young female students says something like, well, I was at Starbucks this morning, and uh, I was waiting in line, and this guy behind me dropped his papers, and I scooped down to help him scoop up the papers. I used your technique. I affect labeled him, and I said, oh, you must be really embarrassed right now and a little bit um, dis- <laughs> disgruntled that you, that, you, that you did this. And she, she started laughing, and she said, what happened was exactly what you said would happen. He started hitting on me. I couldn't get rid of him. <laughs> And I said, that's right. You're going to create this deep empathic connection with a perfect stranger, and all of a sudden he's going to think you're in love with him and, and, because he feels so connected to you. So be careful. Come with be a careful. disclaimer. That's right. Um, 
on a little bit more of a serious note, you have to be careful with this because uh, there are people who have never been listened to who may be around you, acquaintances or family members. And once they start realizing that you can listen to them, they become energy leeches mm -hmm. and they will suck onto you. And you have to learn how to set boundaries around this so that uh, your life isn't taken up <laughs> being the great listener. And you have to be able to say, no, this is not a good time for me to be listening. And the third thing is you have to really want, when you use this, this skill, you have to really use it from your heart. It's not a manipulation. It's not mm -hmm. some little psycho, psycho babble technique. It's a very deep and profound process. And if you can't come at it authentically, um, you're going to have real problems with it. So you have, to be, you have to authentically want to calm another person down in order for this to work. Yeah, you have to be kind of a peace seeker. I, I want to hit on boundaries because a lot of people think, you know, I'm, I'm always saying it's not borders, it's boundaries. Uh, mm -hmm. you know, and the boundaries is, is your energy signature, you know. Um, this is the way I wish to be treated on this level, on this signature. Um, I will not be dragged down. You can always propel me up. But if you want to meet me, meet me at this boundary. Right. And, um, you know, I think sometimes if you do actually register resonate in that body, um, your, your kind of aura precedes you in de-escalating de um, a situation and I'm certainly opening up those channels more to other people listening to you. Um, Absolutely. How do people set their boundaries a around them? If they are dealing, you know, um, say you've got somebody that has a spouse that's always angry um, and it's very hard for them to raise that vibration, to raise that boundary around them because they're being well, so beaten down. In, in that situation, I think that um, if you – let's suppose you're in a, a relationship where you've got a partner who's very angry and you start very quietly and very slowly. This is not something you spring on your partner overnight. I mean mm -hmm. this is something you introduce into the relationship gently because uh, you're creating a vulnerability that is, can be scary for people if you're not careful. Uh, but what you do is, is I, my experience has been that as you listen to people who are really angry that you're close to, that you have a relationship with, they will slowly, over a period of time, de-escalate themselves. And whatever issues are creating that anger will either begin to resolve or they'll at least get enough clarity to know that they need to get professional help to start solving their problems. And then the boundaries will, will just set themselves um, automatically. If you're in an extreme situation, and this is something we, I always teach, never, ever, ever put yourself in danger. If, if there's any threat of physical violence, um, remove yourself from the situation. Don't try to de-escalate. Just get out of there. Leave. Walk away. If you, you can, can come back, you can, yeah, you can come back another day because there's there's no point in trying to de-escalate somebody who's about to pull a gun on you and shoot you. Um, yeah, there's yeah. no now, negotiation at that point, is there? I mean, exactly. Now, if your back's up against the wall and you have another choice, then of course you're going to try to de-escalate them and listen to them and talk the, talk them off the window ledge. But if it's potentially violent and somebody looks like they're out of control that they're going to hit you or or abuse you in some way, you have to you have to remove yourself from the situation and come back another time. Hopefully, when things are a little bit calmer and not so dangerous. So we say this is not a substitute for protecting yourself and being mm -hmm. smart about your about yourself. But overall, that those are extreme situations. Overall, right. overall, in most families and most relationships where it, there is a lot of anger. These de-escalation techniques, when used over a period of weeks, if not days, will typically radically change the relationship. Now, uh, you've been working in the, in, in the prison system, proof that it works. Why is this not being taught to police? Because I think this is a technique that they desperately need to have. Well, that's right. it, You know, it's gun first and questions later. You know, I think right. they definitely need to do de-escalate the situation before the guns come flying. We saw that crazy video of that nurse being... I know! I mean, that was nuts in Salt Lake City. That, I mean, guy, that no, guy was out of control. He's got anger issues. Absolutely. absolutely. Right, he, didn't, he did not want to be told no. No. That was purely what it was. Right. So, so well, okay, there are a lot of, there are a lot of layers to all of this. The, probably the simplest explanation is, so far I'm the only one teaching this, and it hasn't reached the consciousness of people who do law enforcement standards training that, to recognize that they, that they need these skills. I have... My, I have talked at times with the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department. I don't live in L.A. I live up in Central California, but they, they've been interested in it. But it's partly a funding issue for law enforcement. It's partly a priority issue 
for law enforcement, learning how to de-escalate is not something that they have a huge priority for. If they've got a whole other bunch of stuff they've got to train their officers in. There is a mentality against against this sort of thing in police work because uh, being vulnerable is not a good place to be for a police officers. So, uh, and this does require you to be uh, to be vulnerable. But that could, as I point out. You know, that's the essence of Tai Chi. You can be mm-hmm. soft to be strong, vulnerable to be powerful. Yes. And, uh, that doesn't compute with a lot of people in law enforcement. So there are a lot of reasons why this ha- this hasn't been picked up. This is still all very early t- ideas that are new and counterintuitive to how we think people really are. It's based on new science. It's just going to take some time for this to trickle through society. And that's, I mean, that's why I'm on your show and that's why I wrote mm-hmm. the book. That's why I'm teaching to start educating people that there are ways of dealing with situations like that situation that we caught on video in Salt Lake City earlier in the week, uh, that, that, or last, last week over Labor Day, where, where it's totally unnecessary for that sort of confrontation to occur. Right. If you have the skills to recognize that somebody's angry, de-escalate them and then problem solve after that. Mm-hmm. You know, we we do have the problem, of, unfortunately, with anybody that's in in form of uniform is, you know, I'm looking at that video with that nurse, she did absolutely nothing wrong. She never raised her voice. Right. She just pointed out she could not do it without a warrant and without him being. This was the law. Um, she didn't disrespect him. He just didn't like the answer. And, you know, it's that is one of those extreme cases uh, out of thing, but we're seeing so many more of those. And if the prisons are working so well, uh, you would think that I would get the wardens behind you and say, well, we you know. Well, ha- I'll tell you a funny story. We, we're, we're working in one of the prisons we're working in right now is in the uh, at Corcoran State Prison, which is one of the maximum security prisons in California. And we're working with guys that are coming out of gangs in what's known as the DPU. And this is a, a secured housing unit, highest level of security in California prisons. And they're in there for a while. They're getting deprogrammed, and then they're being sent out to other prisons. And they, they don't like – they don't want to be transferred out while they're in our classes. And so my colleague, Laurel Coffer, had a conversation with the warden of Corcoran a couple of weeks ago, and the first thing out of his mouth was, what are you guys doing? That is making our inmates want to stay here until they finish your training. <laughs> he can leave it. Right. <laughs> but it must be the, you know, the, uh, it's a calmer place to be. I mean, uh, yeah, there are some people, jail is the only place for them. There's some people, it's just the, the escalation of their lives that ended them up there. Most they get in there, everybody's on guard, everybody's fearful for right. their lives. It's, right. a, it's a high alert, high stressful state to be all the time. And right. anything that can diffuse that and put people to a point where they are listening to each other and recognizing, hey, we're all in this together, let's get through it together. I mean, you would think that they'd be wanting to carbon copy this as fast as possible. Well, one would think. Uh, there is, again, prisons are very complex bureaucracies, and uh, there, are a lot of, there are a lot of different agendas going on in prison administration. So they, they are not of – especially in California, the, the prison system people are not of one mind about how we should be operating prisons, how we should be treating inmates. There's a lot of conflict. Uh, just around the whole idea of, of punishment versus rehabilitation, for example, mm-hmm. and there's a, and there's a huge issue around funding. I mean, our, our this training is not cheap. It takes you know, with Laurel and I going in, charging. It's an, it's intense work. It's over a long period of time. You just don't go in and do a workshop and get things to change. Right. When we commit, even the minimum time we'll commit to any given prison is is 15 months, and it takes about three and a half years to really embed it into a into a prison yard effectively. So. That's a huge time commitment, and it's expensive. And, and the prison people who make decisions about funding don't want to spend that kind of money oftentimes because, that, because it's, they're thinking short-term big bang for the buck and not thinking about long-term gain, even though there's short, short-term pain. Yeah. And so some so of that, that money I mean, needs to be redirected, doesn't it? Right. And I mean, yeah. that's true not just with prisons. It's true yes. anywhere in government. We see the same thing in education. I've taught these skills successfully to middle and high school teachers, and – to a person, they said these are the most profound skills I've ever learned for classroom management. Mm-hmm. And so you would think that the the uh, school board or the the school district would say, let's make sure we get every single teacher trained in this. And they said, no, we're not going to do that. We don't have the money for it. It's uh, it's yeah, it's you know the the old proverbial stitch in time. 
right? That's right. You know, and exactly. It's, exactly. And it's like, uh, you know, the short-sightedness of certain people. And this is where the public has to go in and say, look, there is a program that does this. Right. And you're funding that. That ABC can wait. This is priority. This is where we want your That's funding. Right. This is where the public have to step up. Yeah. And, this- and yes, you were. I love you. <laughs> Thank you for saying that. <laughs> and and that's what I've learned over the years. That. And this is, again, part of my message is, is where I'm trying to reach out to people is for exactly that reason. It's not going to happen from the top. The, the, our, our political leaders, our education leaders, our law enforcement leaders do not have the political will to make a change of the type that we're talking about here. It has to happen from underneath where people have experienced this themselves and say, hey, how come we're not doing this in our schools? How come we're not doing this? with our law enforcement people? How come we're not doing this in our prisons? How come we're not doing this in government? So that we can really learn how to solve a lot of these problems that are caused by enraged emotions. Well, you know, the thing is, the more you do it, though, you know, it's not just a question of the people that you're working as that beautiful trickle down, you know, the ripple effect. Um, you know, they, 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 if these people get tra- transported to another prison, they're going to take that same system over yeah, there. Uh, when uh-huh. they leave, they're going to bring it back into the, into their into their home environment. That's right. And, you know, and that's, that's exactly what's happening. Right. That's exactly what's happening. And so, you know, they become the people that are uh, your advocates, you know, your your leaders. Look, this has worked for me. And we see this all the time. Also, what, what I'm seeing from the spiritual side of things at the present moment is that everything is on escalation as far as turning up the volume on conscious behavior and mm-hmm. uh, kindness, uh, caring, love, listening, um, you know, not not fueling the hate, not feeding the hate. And we're seeing this actually escalate in quite, quite a thing. So I think a system like what you've got going on here is something that I think um, somebody out there, putting it out there to the universe, is going to grab hold of and get behind in financing it. Because it's a tool that human beings need right now in order to actually break this conscious um, rising that's going on. Um, you know, uh, they do, uh, they don't know how to embrace the conscious rising without defusing, without right. de-escalating. So this de-escalating will help them raise that conscience. And it's it's a, it's a, it's such a full counterintuitive process. Right. Anybody can learn it. You can master it in a week with practice. And it changes lives yeah. in huge ways. It's so it's it's based on science. There's no woo-woo here. There's no psychobabble. There's no myth here. It's based on hard neuroscience, and it's how our brains operate. And that's what makes it so powerful. Is and that's why it works every time without fail. Is because we know exactly how the brain responds to this sort of stuff. So you're right. I mean, it's just going to take some time for the for people to begin to understand that these skills are learnable, transmittable, and replicable, and you know, we're going to start seeing, some, I hope, seeing some really dramatic changes over the next five or ten years. You're going to be very busy teaching people the system so <laughs> they can get out and do that. So. Well, I can, I can do that too, but I, I can also teach people how to do this. Right. And, you know, people can read my book and figure out how to do it. Right. And they can, you know, there are a million different ways that I'm trying to deliver this information. It's not difficult, but but as you know, cutting through the noise today, the media noise, to, to get people's attention about stuff that I think is invaluable is extremely Let's let's talk about the media now. now we, we everybody's looking at media as fake news. No, you know I actually watch satiric, you know, um, news to get my news because you know, <laughs> you know because you're going to get There's it. Truth and yeah, absolutely. And and sometimes it's so absolutely bizarre you have to laugh otherwise you'll go what you know. Um, exactly. And this is you know and you know I love the Daily Show and I love Colbert and things because they really do bring it down into into the reality of what's going on uh, but everybody's looking at the media as fake news and of course they turn to social media and you know social media is wonderful because it invites interaction but what we're not wanting to have is reaction and how does one diffuse a situation maybe on a Facebook or on a Twitter um in any technique that you have to stop that escalation because you can see it just go like wildfire right. same thing it works i've i've had some i've i've had some really snarky comments on some of my videos i mean just really rude mm-hmm. and i i just i just label them i said oh you're really angry you're really frustrated you feel disrespected uh you know whatever i think it might be and i just that's how i reply back and i don't i, I don't take on the Right. I take, take them on. I just reflect what I think their emotional experiences that caused them to write these snarky, disrespectful comments. And of course, I never hear from them again. Right. It stops it. Yes. And that's what I would advise people do. You know, on any social media, if you're, 
if you if you got people who are commenting on something and they're being rude or disrespectful or snarky, instead of ignore, you can ignore them, and that could be appropriate. But the other thing you can do is this, is just label label back what you think their emotional experience must be that drove them to write that kind of comment. And it's going to be I mean, it's going to be a, some very simple emotions. They're going to be angry. They're going to be anxious. They're going to be fearful. They're not. They're going to feel like they're not being heard and they're being disrespected. Um, you know, there could even be underneath all of that sadness and grief because they're completely disconnected from social life. And so this is their only only way of getting attention is to is to do this kind of commenting in social media. But if you just label the emotions back, you are, you are, you are, yeah. and stop, and watch what happens. Yeah. Let's, uh, let's talk. And, and, and I would say, don't take the word of the great Doug Knoll for this. Just look at the world. Look at social media as being a great laboratory. Yes. Experiment with this and see what works and what doesn't work right. for you. Yeah, exactly. Um, let's take um, the world of racism right now. Uh-huh. Um, yes. And, you know, the racism is, is on both sides. It's on every side at the present moment. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, a I'm about being colorless. You know, this is, if you're African, this is your African culture. If, you know, if you're, if you're white, this is your culture. But, you know, right now, why not looking at ourselves as a human race? Black, white, pink, polka dot, who gives a damn? It's about, you know, the heart, the soul, and the spirit. And I think one of the problems is, is that everybody's stuck up in this head, which is a revolving door of fear and insecurity and everything else. They're not igniting the heart and the soul and the spirit into the equation. Because if they did, they would see each other as human beings and not the other label um if you are talking to somebody who is so fervently in belief of that racism uh, would the escalation work with them or would it not reach them i think it would work with them uh and you have to be very careful not to be judgmental so i would if somebody were engaged in some kind of racist comment, racist conversation where i had a need to de-escalate i would say something like you're really angry you're really frustrated, and then I kind of see how they react to that. But the real issue here is fear, mm-hmm. uh, and so and you want to try to move into that carefully because people don't like necessarily like to be ex- their vulner- they don't like their vulnerabilities exposed. So you have to be a little bit careful about that. But depending upon the circumstance, you know, I'll go into the fear of it. I said you're fearful of change. You're fearful that your way of life is going away you're fearful that there are people who who have completely different beliefs than you do will dominate you and tell you what you have to believe and basically invalidate what you believe in and you have great fear that that your quality of life and and the way that you see self and your country is going to be lost forever and that scares you and it, and it angers you and they'll say yeah that's exactly right and it is exactly right because that's what they're feeling. All right, now we can kind of move into, we can start moving in. Once we've got the fear under control, we can start moving into problem solving. Right. So then I might ask the question, if I got them calmed down, I might ask the question like, well, tell me about all the life experiences that led you to the beliefs you have today. Tell me, just tell me how, tell me your story. How did you come to these beliefs? And then, and then I'll say, and how do these, after they tell me their story, that gives me great understanding because now they're going to be autobiographical. Then I might ask the question, so tell me, tell me how these beliefs guide your decisions every day. How do these beliefs tell you how to work in the world? And they've never been asked that question before. So they have to think about that and answer it. And then, so what do you do, now what do you do when you have people that you're confronting who have different beliefs than you? How do you manage that constructively? How do you do that? And they have to think about that. And look at just asking these three questions. You could have an hour-long conversation with somebody and gain a tremendous amount of insight into who they are. They get insights. And you never really challenge their beliefs, but what you're really doing is asking about how, how they came to mm. those beliefs and how those beliefs manifest in their lives. And that's how you have a conversation around this stuff. And it doesn't matter whether it's racism or politics or social policy around pro-life, pro-choice, anything like that, or religious beliefs, it doesn't matter. You, you, you can talk to people who are different than you are as long as you don't challenge them and as long as you don't try to persuade them to your way of thinking. And you can still have very calm, civil, powerful conversations with people who are radically different than you are. Right. It's, it's showing the common denominators, isn't it? You That's know, right. Uh, there was a great video where I think 
it was out of Denmark or I can't remember Norway. Um, but they had all these people, different colors, different sizes, different ages, and uh, scattered around a room. And they would say, all those people that like to do this and all those people like to do that. And you would see the people coming from all different walks, ages, colors, coming into the center. And then, you know, the realization that the, they had more in common than they had not in common, it brought people together into conversation. And really, bottom line is we've got to learn to converse with each other because that's how we actually understand um, what I, we I can would, do for each other. I would take it one step further and I would say we have to learn how to listen to each other. Mm-hmm. We have to, learn, have to learn because when we get in conversation, conversation is all about me. Mm-hmm. And when we're listening, it's all about you. So I would, I would advocate for learning how to listen to another person. And then once they've been listened to, they've been validated, then then maybe you can have a conversation. But until they feel validated, they're not going to be able to have a conversation. Right. Right. Yeah, because they don't feel little. So, and uh, yeah, I mean, conversation is meant to be a t- you know a two-way or three-way, four-way um, interaction with one another, and you've got to get everybody right. on the same playing field in order to be able to have that conversation and open up those doors. Um, you know, I can really imagine this in this technique. My daughter just sent me before this call, you know, how she was angry at somebody because they just screwed her over. She pointed it out. <laughs> and I said, I've got a show for you. <laughs> You're going to have to listen to this. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that is that is the point, isn't it? Is that it is. there is always an answer out there. He says, we've also got to be willing to find those answers in different ways. Um, everybody's kind of looking for that quick fix. I want to know. I want to know. Okay, take a breath. Uh, the, the answers are right there. As I say, I have a, it's a show away. Um, you know, my platform is is podcasting. So you're, if you're willing right. to listen, you're going to actually hear what you can do that can find resolution in your life. But so many people are wanting this quick fix. You know, you're giving it to them in 90 seconds. But are they going to listen to you enough or read the book enough to, to listen to the technique of how to do it in 90 seconds? So we've really got to look at giving ourselves more time to find those resolutions um, rather than looking for these quick fixes all the time. That's correct. Uh, I, I think you've nailed it. I, I, we, we live in a microwave society where everybody wants everything instantaneously. And this is pretty fast, but you still have to put a little bit of effort into learning, reading the book, taking my video course, whatever it is that you need to do to learn the skills, and that's a little bit of time to practice them. I mean, remember, we, as babies, we didn't walk, we didn't run sprints at, at yeah. three months. You know, I mean, we were, took us, took us two months just to learn how to roll over onto our backs. And then it took, once we could do that, then we kind of started building up some arm and leg strength and started crawling a little bit around six months. And then right around between nine months and 13 months, man, we start walking. And then we were walking and falling and walking and falling. And we do that for about another six months. And then finally, we start getting enough coordination by around two to 18 months to four months that we can actually start to run a little bit. I mean, look yeah. how long it takes to do that. Exactly. Yeah, we, we want everything right now. And, you know, one of the things uh, from doing these shows for so long, you know, it's take a breath, look at That's simplifying right. your life. You know, uh, right. half the time we're getting anxieties because we're overloading. We're trying to do everything right now. Right. And we're trying to do a hundred things right now. And when you simplify your life, take a breath, just deal with what's important in the moment. Uh, and I, is it important in the moment? Um, I, I, I can't I can't reinforce that enough. I mean, I... I had a life of a hardcore trial lawyer for 22 years, and um, I quit that back in 2000 to become a peacemaker, and, my, and I went through a great simplification. I got rid of my big house, my expensive cars, all the trappings of financial and professional success, got rid of it all. Mm-hmm. I live Today, I live in Central California, south of Yosemite, a mile and a half of a dirt road and a beautiful little home on 10 acres. I got a Subaru with 120,000 miles on it, <laughs> and you know, when, it, when you simplify it becomes better. Yeah. Because it opens up the opportunity to serve, which is really kind of yes. what my life is all about now. Yes, it's exactly. Amazing. It is. It's and amazing. serving is wonderful. I mean, you know, um, there is a difference between servitude and being of service. And, you know, That's for a long exactly time, right. um, a servant for a long time at my own expense. And my ju- <laughs> my journey has been is to fortify myself so I can be of service. The more abundant I am, the more I have to give, right? So right. it's been a, a journey that I've had to take and a lot of people have to take. I think the other thing is that's really important is, is to be adventurous. Um, be willing to go and step into something unknown. Forget about your age. Forget about 
even your financial status and just be willing to go and explore other options that have no explanation to them until you're in them because when we seek those um, those new roads we become into a totally different awareness but we, we you know kind of we've got to this thing where we want a manual for everything and it's uh, that's not the way to live is it no i mean you can't google you can't google how to have a happy life uh, <laughs> i'm sure so they'll have some answers but <laughs> I know millennials probably are saying oh my god how do i then how do i do it well mm-hmm. it's really simple i mean the prison project is a perfect example of that when laurel and i started this thing back and were approached by by letter by an inmate asking us to come in and teach mediation we had no clue what we were getting into mm-hmm. and what i tell people today is follow your heart follow your passion don't worry about the money it'll Somehow it'll work out. Yeah, yes. times get tough and it gets a little weird. But somehow if you're following your heart and, and you're doing what you're really passionate about and you're really being of service to others, life seems to take care of itself. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to say it's not going to be stressful at times because it is. But it is infinitely better than subjugating yourself in servitude where you have a flat life and it's not fun and you're not serving and you know, you're just working for the almighty paycheck. Um, yeah, we have to pay mortgages and we have health insurance. We have kids we have to deal with. All true. But, but you, there is a way to find them. Uh, it means that you have to simplify. But your life is so much richer because of that. Yeah. And as I tell people, I mean, I encourage, especially my colleagues and mediator colleagues around the world, I say, you know, open your heart and go into the place of darkness and bring the light in. Yeah. Have these skills. Let's use them. Let's use them for good. And, and let's let's listen to the heart. The heart, to the know, heart. always guide you. Listen to your soul. That's whatever your divine connection is. It's not about religion. It's just about your connection. Exactly. Um, you know, let your spirit be free because that's what's going to take you into that exploration and and right. wonderment of life. You know, don't lose that because when you lose right. that, you get complacent, and complacency then leads to you know lethargic or even anger. Um, right. So it's very very important that we be proactive in life and. Uh, productive in our own lives by we're here to live so get out and live exactly so i mean it's really easy to talk about it once you're there but it's not so easy to get there and especially if you're mired down in all kinds of obligation you how the heck am i how the heck am it's so easy for them to talk about it how can i do it and it is difficult you have to have courage i mean i guess that's the most important thing is you have to have courage and um you have to decide that the way you want to learn important than the way you are living. And you're willing to take the risk of losing everything in order to change your life. And the fact of the matter is you won't lose anything. You'll gain everything. But in the beginning, it feels like loss. Yeah, I mean, so, I've, I've lost everything a couple of times over. There um, you go. And, you know, <laughs> and we're still alive. And we're still alive and well. And, and every time, you know, that, that door is closed or that loss has happened, something else has opened up. Uh, you know, starting these radio shows when I was invited to do this, I'd never done one before. My first one was catastrophic. I pressed all the wrong buttons. <laughs> and, you know, five years later, with a thousand shows under my personal belt, you know, I think right. I've got the buttons down now. Um, right. You don't know what you can do until you get up and try it, you That's know. Right. And it's, uh, you know, where it's leading you. I'm, I'm about to pack it up and, and just go to another city and house it and explore. Um, well, there you go. But but you're living in a pretty beautiful place right now. I'm Vancouver. living in a beautiful place, and I'm going to Toronto. And people are going, are you crazy going to really? Toronto for the winter? I, I was just in Toronto a couple of weeks ago uh, uh, teaching at a conference. But you're going from Vancouver, Toronto. I That's know. interesting. I know. Going yes, from, I know. I know. Going I'm, from wet to cold. Exactly. And everybody's going, what? You're going there in the middle of winter? I have a daughter there, and after 10 years, ah. I've only seen her a month, you know. And so, um, But it's also the energy there that's so good. And I need energy in my life right now. Mm-hmm. And I think that's good. where that awareness comes in, right? Where you've got to be aware. What do you need? If right. you are feeling angry, if you are feeling sad, if you are feeling this and that, what would it take for you to, to kind of, Get that insurgence of energy that you need to pay you into another layer. I'm not going there forever. I'm only going for three months. Um, then I've been invited to Cancun to four out. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good idea. <laughs> and then into the States to see some of my radio colleagues. And, um, and then back to the island uh, of Vancouver where it's beautifully peaceful and I can chill out. But it, it's the thing is, yeah, it's scary. I'm just going out on a limb here. I, you know, I've got something in my mind I want to do, but I'm, you know, I'm just putting it out there and believing that it's, you know, however it's going to happen will happen. We've, you know, you talked about courage and you, you talk about that inner strength, and but I think it's that 
in a belief that you are more than what you are. Don't sell yourself short. Exactly. I'm dealing with telephone flying off on on the side. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're, I mean, the, uh, all I can tell people, and it sounds like you've had many of the same ex- kinds of experiences that I had, is that when you can let go, all of a sudden really cool things happen. Yeah. It's learning how to do that. But um, but I want to get back to de-escalate a little bit because uh, you know the core the core of all of this is knowing how to manage the life around you that you have. And you may feel like you're stuck in a job and you and, and you're not life's passion and you're stuck with angry, upset people, whether it's your family or your your partner or coworkers or whatever. The first the first thing to do is to is to really educate yourself on the skills that you can use to make the situation you've got right now as happy and as and as blissful as possible. Why can't you use this on yourself? I mean, You can use it on yourself. You know, that first inner dialogue, I'm this, I'm that, blah, 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 and then, okay, you've had your, you you've had your verbal diarrhea, now, now go into, <laughs> exactly. what emotion are you right now? Ask that's myself exactly that. That's exactly right. And that's the other, <laughs> that's the third part of this that's so powerful, is that after you've practiced this de-escalation strategy on other people for a couple of weeks, all of a sudden you're going to find yourself de-escalating yourself. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm really angry right now. I'm really pissed off. Oh, I'm a, I'm a fearful. Um, and uh, so you all of a sudden will now start de-escalating yourself and you will find that you'll become more and more mellow and you'll become more and more centered and less stuff will upset you and you'll be making better choices and decisions about your emotional reactions to things. Yeah, we It's just- phenomenal. My wife and I were talking about this last night, how we go out in the world and we're just totally centered all the time. I mean, there's just, I mean, I don't have, a lot of people talk about how they have self-talk, all this talk going mm-hmm. on in their brain all the time. When, when I'm, we're not in the world or even doing any work. I have no self-talk going in on my brain. I'm totally still inside. Because you've, already, you've already found that uh, that's right. way to groove in. And so if you're in that discovery of self, which we all need to be, you know, we all need to be in that discovery of self to find out who and what we're here for. Um, that's right. And, you know, this is a part of a process. Everybody goes through that dialogue, you know, a lot of self-loathing and everything else. And that's this right. is a great way of listening to your inner self because we have that's to right. live from the inside out. There is no outside in. It's inside out. Um, and it's a way of paying attention to yourself and, and being kinder so, to yourself. So let me just give you, uh, give you and everyone else a quick tip on that. So let's suppose that you all of a sudden have some self-loathing come up. So the way you would manage that is to say, oh, I'm feeling really shamed right now. I feel very ashamed of myself. I'm feeling, I'm feeling a lack of support. I'm not feeling worthy. I'm not feeling loved. And I feel completely abandoned and, unlo- and unloved and unlovable. Now, all of a sudden, when you do that, you start to calm down, you've escalated yourself, and say, okay, so what do I want to do about this, these feelings right now? This is not who I am. It's just what I'm feeling. Yes. What can I do about it? And you notice how that w- you change the conversation. Rather than believing that you are who you, what you feel, you now recognize feelings for what they are and that it does not change the essential essence of who you are or what you are. And you can make better choices about how you want to respond to those feelings of shame, inadequacy, lack of self-worth, whatever it might be. And the sting goes away. Yeah. yeah. You're going from unworthiness to worthiness. You're going from yeah. You're going from unworthiness to where, where, where you're defining yourself about how you're feeling in the moment to a place where, the 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 central essence of who you are is un- untouched by whatever the feelings are, the fleeting emotions that are going through your brain in the moment that got triggered by something. Mm-hmm. That's not who you are. And as once you begin to label yourself, you begin to de-escalate yourself. You see that, and the power of these goes away. They don't have nearly the power they used to have on you. Right. It's huge. It's huge. Yes. Yes. I mean, this is, you know, one of the problems, isn't it, in life is that we're all uh, seeking, we're all in self-discovery, we all want to know what is our meaningful purpose in life. And when we find that, there is a certain harmony in your purpose. You know, you found that harmony in what you're doing. But in the meantime, while we're looking for it, we may have to go through half a dozen things in life to to (laughs) find that meaningful purpose. It's all part of your journey in life. It's not about the destination and, and then you'll come to a stop. These tools along the way, not only to deal with the people around you, but to deal with yourself and the conflict that you have sometimes in your choice making. So it's a tool that is in your arsenal for, for pretty well every day of your life. That's right. And I mean, I tell people my life didn't start until I was 50. Mm-hmm. It took me 50 years to prepare for what I'm doing today. 
57. 50 Got years. Beat. 57. Got your beat. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, I'm not 50. I'm 66 now. But it took me 50 years to get ready to do the work that I'm doing today. Yeah. So, you know, you, I guess, you know, you, you get some age and you get some wisdom and maturity and it, it gives you perspective. And it's pretty hard at 26 or 27 to see that. But, and I recognize that because I remember what it was like then when I was a brand new lawyer. And, um, but you get there. And you be patient yourself, and in the meantime, cultivate the skills that are going to give you the most happiness and joy, both for you and the people around you. I mean, this is certainly something that should be brought into lawyer school. Uh, well, I agree, but that's not going to happen. Uh, oh, God. <laughs> Another reason. I <laughs> all too well. The, the basic curriculum and how it's locked in, and it's based on actually – this is a topic for another long discussion, is that the law is about 150, 250 years behind the science. Yes. And the assumptions that the law makes about human behavior uh, are completely wrong based on what we understand now in neuroscience. And there's, there's some debate going, starting to go on in academic circles about all of that and what it all means. Um, and, but but it, the science is also shaking up a lot of other areas of knowledge, too. It's shaking up theology. It's shaking up social science, I mean, economics, everything. Right. It, what we thought, what we thought we knew about ourselves, turns out to be completely incorrect. Right, and that's this is something that's opening up the door on so many levels here today, and and this is actually why systems like law, like police, like government, uh, they're all pretty arcade, and uh, this is why they're crumbling at the present moment. We will see a new system come up, and it may not be the same at all. Maybe uh, under totally different right. individual umbrellas. Um, and, uh, you know, that's okay because we know the one that's out there isn't working. Uh, so go to the ones that are and de-escalate that, is correct. working. So That's correct. Um, this book uh, needs to be in, in everyone's hands. Um, so how do people get it? So uh, it will. it is now available in all the usual places, at least at pre-order. The book release date is September 12th. So by the time people are listening to this, it should be almost out there. But certainly barnesandnoble.com, amazon.com, any place where fine books are sold, you can either get the book there or you can have your bookseller order it for you. In addition, due to the generosity of a benefactor who wants to get this book into millions of hands, you can get the book for free. He'll buy the book for you if you're willing to pay shipping and to her. Uh, you can go to my website, dougnoel.com, D-O-U-G-N-O-L-L.com. Click on the banner. It's right there on the homepage. It'll take you to a page where put in your credit card information, pay seven bucks for shipping and handling, and you'll get you'll get access to the book, and you'll also get uh, access, if you want, uh, you'll get access to my video course that teaches all of this stuff, and um, so you can learn it even faster. You can get a lot out of the book, but you'll get a lot, a lot more out of the video course. So to get... To start learning about all of that, making a decision or not you want to learn this stuff, go to dougnoll.com um, or check out your favorite bookseller uh, okay. online or Douglas, offline. I've got Douglas Knoll. Is it Douglas? That'll work too. They're all the, the, yeah, okay. DouglasKnoll.com works, works too. Um, all the URLs point to me. Right. <laughs> and, of course, you have Facebook, Douglas Knoll, Twitter, Douglas Knoll, yeah. Twitter uh, LinkedIn, uh, Doug LinkedIn, Knoll. I'm out there. All you got to do, if you, if you get lost, um, just Google me. Just Google Douglas Knoll or Doug Knoll, N-O-L-L. Get right. this last name spelling right. Otherwise, you'll get thrown off. But Doug Knoll, Douglas E. Knoll, Doug Knoll. I'm out there making myself visible to the world uh, because I think these tools are priceless, life-saving, and transformative. You know, we live in a really angry world right uh -huh. now. And I can't change it myself, but I can teach a whole bunch of people how to do it. And, and if we get just even a very small percentage of our population in North America de-escalating with the tools that I've developed uh, in a very, very short time, we could see some really profound changes in our civil dialogue, which I think would be totally cool. Have you sent it to Trump yet? Uh, he's not willing to learn, so there's no point. <laughs> right, exactly. Maybe to the people around him. Maybe. Um, yeah. um, until people are hit the pain where it's yes. so painful for them that they, they're, they're willing to think about anything. Stuff like this sometimes doesn't resonate. No, this, that's with absolutely everything in life. You cannot help someone until they're willing to help themselves and they're that's willing right. to be open to the knowledge. Um, uh, we can't go in and save anybody, um, but we can go in and assist in um, saving themselves. Um, that's right. And that's what it's about. So it comes back to our own ownership, our own responsibility, our own choices in life. And if your life is not working for you right now, what are you doing about it? And as far as I'm concerned, your book is first stage. 
because you've got to learn to listen. You've got to learn to de-escalate. You've got to learn how to have a conversation. Those are the first entry levels to everything else you're going to do in life. Correct. And so th- this book is kind of a great wonderful manual on how to do that so that you can get people to listen to you so you can listen to what other people need from you in your self-discovery you go i don't know what i'm here for well when you have when you learn to listen to people you find out i can help you with that i can help you with that because you're listening right you've de-escalated right. the situation you're listening you now know you can help somebody with that because that's your passion that's your conviction that's your calling so right. if you want to know what you want to do in life Pick up this tool, use it, and it will lead you to where you need to be in life. Exactly correct. Wonderful. Well, thank you for writing such a book. Um, oh, thank you. It's a, a very appropriate time. We certainly do need it in life right now. Simple measures, the fact that it's, you know, it can be in 90 seconds and that it has a lasting effect. Um, and the fact that it can grow and expand from there, the wonderful ripple and domino effect from it is absolutely great. So please, folks... Christmas is coming up. <laughs> this is a great Christmas stocking gift and the one for the whole family. That's uh, right. And it's a one that can just actually bring a great deal of love and harmony to your family by de- de-escalating the angst that goes within there with your teenagers, with your parents, with brothers and sisters, you know, uncles and aunts. Uh, bring this into the family. So thank you so much, Doug, for being with us here today. Thank you, Sarah. It's been a great conversation. Uh, most certainly has. Thank you. So de-escalate um, and uh, find a way to communicate by listening, uh, stepping into that beautiful harmonization where you're willing to hear each other uh, because everybody wants to be heard. Everybody wants to be validated that they count for something. Everybody wants to know they're here for a reason. When you learn to listen to them and de-escalate, you've now given them that platform as you've given them that respect, and we could do a lot more of that. So until next time, folks, bye for now.